Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. See it on the These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I think the part that's really shocking to me is how childish their like thought and their belief was that if they did this horrible thing, then like they would be rewarded with these amazing musical skills and they would go pro and become famous bands. And yet, what they did, what they actually did in reality, seems so adult and so horrible and how could they have even thought of this as, as these 15, 16-year-old kids? Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. Did Hi. You, did, you, <laughs> did you like that? I, I did like that. But I like even more that I'm actually going to Disneyland this weekend. Oh my God, here we go. Yep. Here we go. I'm going to Disneyland this weekend. By yourself? By myself, yeah. I'm just going to go by just myself. Just solo. No, I'm taking the kids. Oh, my your adult, kids, your adult my, children, my adult children. <laughs> right? Okay. Billy's kids are in their twenties. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's just two generations of adults going to Disneyland <laughs> that, without that's children. Pretty much it. Really like, not creepy at all. Yeah. Well, you know what? There's a lot of us out there that are like that. So I do. Well, Jared will probably listen to this, but I would like to um, surprise him one day and like have you be a part of it where we do the Star Wars thing. Yes. Because I feel like that would be a true act of commitment of me as a girlfriend to say I will go with you to this bullshit but then you would have to come to Alexis. Absolutely. We'll we can it. get drunk. They can go geek out to Star Wars shit. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to do this with Harry Potter World. Yes. Yes. Because that is something I'm actually really getting into now. <laughs> you're <laughs> Ever bla- since you're embracing your, your Slytherin <laughs> yes. nature. Because I'm, I see myself every move I make I'm like Slytherin. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know what? Even if you weren't a Slytherin you're becoming a Slytherin. No I was though. Yeah. yeah. No you oh, totally, totally was. was. <laughs> you didn't even have to that sorting hat did not. That was just... <laughs> Why do you think I'm yeah. like Never mind. <laughs> we don't need to dig too far into that. Um, I do want to bring up something. And it was a recent post that somebody made the other day about how Amanda Knox is crowdfunding her wedding and our own Billy Jensen donated. I did. I donated $50 for the open bar. It's fucking insane. You're insane. I, you know what? She lived uh, through some hell and obviously it was not as much hell as, as Meredith's family or Meredith uh, Meredith herself obviously but um, you know she was completely railroaded and she wants 
fifty dollars from me to to give out some drinks at her wedding. Here you go. Go are, take it. Are you jealous you weren't invited? Who says I wasn't invited? <laughs> I don't think she sent out invites yet, did <laughs> no, she? No, she hasn't. Oh my god! Wait, I need to meet her. <laughs> He's so vying for an invite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I will see. I'll see her in DC because we're we're doing the same. Um, festival in dc in november so i will like to drop this one thing uh go to my instagram and if you want to meet me on my book tour it starts august 13th oh that's so fun yeah can you can I like... 13 cities in 13 days no days off no days off Mm-mm. wow 13 cities 13 days like boom boom that's it damn yep look you go um what day is it it's national cotton candy day which is a little because there's actually two cotton candy days which is kind of bullshit because there's one on december 7th as well how do you know that but i have all this memorized you guys know that it's not like i'm looking at a website or anything i have have this memorized but more importantly it's happy 50th episode day that is a big it was a guys a huge labor of love this past 50 weeks the it really has been a labor of love mm-hmm. it's been great though it's been so great and we've bonded and i feel like we've bonded with listeners like we i don't mean to get overly sentimental but i'm gonna cry <laughs> oh no well we'll save i love it i we'll love this podcast the, so much yeah. we can and save the real sentiment for our 52nd episode right. yes, which, is, which is the, yeah but Honestly, I, I, I got a little bit emotional yesterday in the Facebook group because people were uh, were posting their own first degrees, not even waiting for like an episode. They were just like, I knew this guy, this is it, and posting links to stories. And I think we had four within 24 hours. I know. It's so we're it's talking crazy. about it before we started recording. The Facebook group has is fucking popping off. Mm-hmm. It's so great. It everybody's so engaged in it and it's really cool to be interacting with all of our listeners in like such a cool way. You no, know, when people are posting their personal things. By the way, I will throw this out there. Um started listening to the Kim, Kim Goldman podcast this morning and I just got a spray tan and I almost cried it off. First episode mm-hmm. is very emotional if you guys need a good cry. And then apparently it gets pretty fucking good right Billy? it gets it gets really good and you will uh once you get to episode six you'll be introduced to a major villain that will make you want to punch a wall yeah so if anybody Just needs FYI. to get the rage out and then yeah. give it a listen um well that's enough of that so let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you Arroyo Grande, California may have been a picturesque oceanside town, but in fact, it had a dark side. A hundred violent crimes were reported by the residents of the San Luis Obispo suburb in 1995, a higher than average number for a town of under 14,000 residents. And beyond the concerning and obvious spike in violence, even more alarming was that the problem seemed to revolve around the area's teenagers. On July 22, 1995, Elise Paler, an adventurous 15-year-old, slipped out of her parents' home and snuck into a eucalyptus grove to meet some friends for a harmless night out. But those friends had other intentions. The events stemming from that night would haunt the small town of Arroyo Grande for years to come and would attract national 
news coverage after a bizarre tie-in to a heavy metal band called Slayer would be revealed. So we are going to introduce our first degree off the bat in this story, and her name is Melanie, and she went to high school with Elise and knew a couple of the other people involved in this case. So our high school was, you know, it's set in this really kind of picturesque town. It's very, it's people say it's rural, but it's just a small town in San Luis Obispo County, which is on the central coast of California. And it was a place where you felt really safe. You know, you'd walk to the coffee shop with your friends. There were, you know, just all those typical high school things like, you know, spirit rallies and boosters clubs and ASB, like student body president and all that. So we're definitely different social groups in the high school. Mostly it was, you know, just kids going to um, the football games and going to band practice. But there were kind of a smaller group of kids who would sneak out to smoke pot or were getting into a little bit of trouble for cutting class. But that was the worst of it. Elise Paler was a happy-go-lucky 15-year-old. She was active in sports, the theater, and she even sang in her church choir. She was oldest of four children. Her dad, David Paler, was a contractor, and her mom, Lisanne, was a tennis instructor. She was super outgoing. She had aspirations of becoming an actress one day. But like most teenagers, Elise wasn't the perfect child. She had a history of sneaking out of her parents' house to meet boys, and she'd been known to experiment with alcohol and marijuana like every other kid ever in high school. I can't imagine a kid in high school that hasn't done this. And even though her experimental and recreational substance use was normal by most standards, her parents wanted to try and nip it in the bud. So they sent her to a place called Mariposa Community Recovery Center, just as a precaution. Elise was a classmate of mine. So I had had some classes with her and she was just a really nice girl. And I knew her to be a really kind person, just friendly with everybody. She always had a smile on her face. She wasn't like a social butterfly kind of person. She was friendly with everybody, but she had, you know, kind of her circle of friends were kind of kids who were um, maybe might have cut class or might have snuck out or might have like, you know, like gotten caught smoking or something like that. But she was still a really good kid. I just feel like she thought that that was just a really accepting group and she just kind of went with the people who were the kindest and the friendliest and the most welcoming. She didn't like people who seemed cliquish or judgmental or were too into who was a popular crowd. So I just saw her as being somebody who just liked people who were laid back and easygoing. As a reminder, it's like this was the 90s. Weed is becoming legal in many states now, mm-hmm. but imagine just a very conservative kind of uh, sheltered parents that didn't experiment, you know, in a very straight lace. So you hear like, oh my God, marijuana, it's the devil's lettuce. (laughs) We better, we better get this under control. Yeah. I mean, they probably thought about it like they'd thought of meth. Yeah, exactly. So my daughter is using hard drugs. I mean, it it wasn't as, but it was, it was close. I mean, the, the, the whole idea. My my parents, like when I first started smoking weed, they're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and then there were a lot of stories that like, what if it's laced with LSD and then you'll go angel crazy, dust. or laced There's... with angel dust, and and yeah. what if it was li- it was uh you know when Clinton was running for president, and then they had that whole thing with yeah I tried it once but I didn't inhale. That was a huge <laughs> part of that campaign. Yeah, and you know what? Obama admitted to smoking weed and was the president. Yeah. Everybody's fucking smoked weed. Let's be honest. Yep. 
Well, and, yeah, it's a gateway drug that all that bullshit. Yep. So this story begins on a warm July evening in 1995 when Elise was lying on her parents' bed watching TV and the phone rings. And the phone is her friends and her friends are inviting her to a party at this nearby eucalyptus grove to hang out. And this is what the teenagers did. They would sneak out to hang out with their friends past curfew. And you can slip in and out without your parents you know, being none the wiser. But in this instance, Elise never came home. And when her parents went to wake up their daughter the next day, she was gone. A detail that you might not find anywhere that I know about is that the night that she, um, that she went to go meet them, she had said goodnight to her parents. And the reason she was able to sneak out is because she had a room that had its own like French doors with its own entrance and exit like she could like leave the house from her bedroom like she was the oldest kid and they had given this to her to like have her own privacy and um I think that that was hard for the parents too because like she just slipped right out of their home and they didn't even know she was gone so at least his parents wake up and their daughter's not there as Billy said and they're immediately alarmed their daughter is someone they trust. As you heard Melanie say, she had her own entrance in and out of the house. She had, you know, issues that teenagers have, like sneaking out here and there, but I can't tell you how many times I snuck out. Mm-hmm. And, but like their daughter is not someone they're, they're constantly worried about. So they knew something was wrong. And the police, though, did not share their sense of urgency. And based on some of the information they gathered, the police believed that she probably was a runaway a teenager blowing off some steam maybe she was partying maybe she, she was with a, a guy a boyfriend and they urged the palers to just hang in tight and wait for her to come home on her own but the palers were not accepting that and immediately one day went by and they reported her missing and then another day no sign of elise days later they launched a public campaign to find their daughter five days later they offered a reward and ran an article in the newspaper soliciting information about Elise's whereabouts. And, you know, they immediately, and we saw this in last week's episode too, it's like the loved ones knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, this is a 15-year-old. No money, no car, no clothes. It's like she she left and everyone's getting along. There's just no, 
She's not even an adult to yeah. be able to take off on her own. When when the parents, when the loved ones tell the police, this is wrong, this is not in character, you listen to them. Yeah, so when I I was working at Avalo Hot Springs and it's a pool and it has a campground and um, I remember there were flyers with her name and her face all over and we had flyers at the pool also. And I remember just sitting there at the reservation desk like checking people in and in between people coming and going, just looking at this picture of her and thinking, where are you? Like, how could you, how could you be missing? How can we not find you? This is crazy. You know, I never experienced anything like that before. And, um, and it was the summer of 95. So it was the summer, um, after our freshman year. So, you know, we're really young high school students and thinking like, there's gotta be an explanation for this. She's going to come home because, you know, how, what other explanation could there be? And her parents must be so worried. I remember thinking that like, her parents must be so worried. My parents would be worried about me. So Elise vanished in the summer months, but Melanie, you know, was in high school with her. So what were things like back in high school? I mean, she has been missing. I would say as time passed and she hadn't been found yet, it looking back this is what surprises me the most it wasn't even though this was so rare for this to happen in a small community there wasn't like this big search effort there wasn't you know the community coming out and looking for her like we're we're not a big community we're not a big town i mean it's like so the central coast of california it's very safe there's you know a, a violent crime or a murder is a big story here so looking back i just am surprised that it wasn't you know, it wasn't a big story and that they just thought like, well, we can't find her. So we don't know. It's, it's a mystery. She's still a missing person. And um, I mean, it was 1996, but I don't feel like at that time that there were just people like saying, oh, if they're gone, they're runaway. And and it was something that we had all kind of forgotten about. And I feel so terrible about that now. But local authorities kind of portrayed it as a runaway that she, um, you know, that she was kind of caught up with a bad crowd and that she was making bad choices, but she was only 15. I mean, what kind of a bad crowd can you be caught up in? And she was such a good kid. I just am really surprised that there wasn't more of um, a genuine concern for where she was beyond the family. And um, I remember it not really being something that we were all very worried about, just thinking she'll come home or we'll find her or there's got to be an explanation who knows what happened to her and by the fall there had been a number of unconfirmed sightings of elise in south county california they described her as five foot seven 120 pounds blonde hair shoulder length and blue eyes but the police have done little to help elise's family in the search for her so the family started to get creative in their own search Elise's grandmother published a public letter in the paper, hoping that her missing granddaughter would see it. And honestly, I gave this to Billy because I, when I was reading it, I can't. I almost cried. I know. So I, I was like, Billy can hold it together for this, but I was choking up typing it. Yeah. It is so sad. The headline read, Missing Granddaughter. My dearest Elise, I miss you and I love you. Everyone is very worried and heartbroken because we don't know where you are. If you're happy, warm, well-fed, and healthy. I promise I don't want to drag you home or anything even like that. 
I just want us to sit down and talk and hug. There is nothing you can't tell me about how you feel or who has been cruel or unkind to you. We can work it out. And you can stay here with me until you want to go elsewhere. Please, please just call me so we know you're alive. My love always, Nana. But unfortunately, Elise would never be able to read it because she wasn't alive. Eight long months after Elise had vanished, her family would learn to their horror that Elise's body had been less than a mile from the family home the entire time. On March 14, 1996, a 16-year-old boy named Royce Casey contacted the San Luis Obispo Police Department and told them that he had a confession to make. He said that he and his two friends were responsible for the disappearance of Elise Paler, and he was willing to lead them to her. He led them to an isolated eucalyptus grove less than a mile from the Paler home. There, the police found a badly decomposed body, presuming to be that of Elise Paler. That probably everyone's lack of like immediate danger, immediate concern is just because it was outside the realm of what what we were even used to considering. I mean, terrible things, in my mind, terrible things happen in movies and we tell ourselves, that's not real, it's not true, it doesn't happen so that we can go to sleep, right? When, when we're teenagers, we tell our parents like, oh, I can go watch a scary movie because like, I know it's not real, and I know it's fine, I can totally sleep and I won't have nightmares, I promise. So, of course, it makes sense that when something like this really does happen, you think until you know, you think, oh, it couldn't be true, like nothing bad has happened. But unfortunately, it was true. I first found out about it because um, I think that my friends had said, oh, did you hear that they found Elise? And, um, and that she had been murdered. It was the spring um, of that school year. So it was like eight months later or something like that. And I, I mean, I was 16 when I found out about it. And I, ha- I have to be honest, I, my reaction was just like, wow, that's so horrible. But I really, as a 16-year-old kid, couldn't, I couldn't really process what that meant. I think that, I think in my mind, it was a horrible thing that happened to her that she didn't know about because she wasn't here anymore. And I think it wasn't until a lot later that I realized or understood what a horrific thing she had gone through as she was dying. Um, But at that time, it was sort of like, you know, the gossip in the hallways and the news spread quickly and, um, but we didn't have any information about how she died or what happened to her um, because it was an investigation and we didn't know what was true and what was rumors, but we knew like Jacob and his two friends were involved and we knew they had been arrested. So to be clear, Melanie is saying they knew that Elise had been killed, but due to the ongoing nature of the investigation, they hadn't been told the circumstances under which she had been killed yet. So even though Royce was telling the police that the remains belonged to Elise, they still needed to confirm it. The San Luis Obispo 
Police Department recruited a Los Angeles forensic pathologist to conduct the autopsy as well as identifying the remains. Ultimately, dental records were used to confirm that it was 15-year-old Elise, and he was also able to determine undoubtedly that her manner of death was homicide. But determining her cause of death and the logging of every one of her horrific injuries would be a painstaking process. Elise's parents, who had been terrified and frustrated over the lack of help from the police department, were heartbroken and horrified, to say the least. Their baby had been so close to them the whole time. It is just like nauseating. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words then phrases and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply.
So once Royce was in custody, he immediately started talking and he named his two accomplices, Jacob Delishmit and Joseph Fiorella. They were each promptly also taken into custody. And Royce admitted that the three of them murdered Elise. And he explained why he had come forward to admit what they'd done. And he said it was partly because of a newfound religious belief. Royce believed that Jacob and Joseph planned to kill again as well. And that is the primary reason why he said he came forward. They basically told him that Elise wouldn't be the only one and there would be others. And Royce feared actually, and this is probably why he actually did it, self-preservation, not because of anybody else, Royce feared he might be the next victim because he had been trying to distance himself from the other two boys and they were kind of getting paranoid because of what he knew. Because, okay, so when we found out that she had, that her body had been found and that she had been murdered and we, we knew that Jacob was involved with his two friends, we didn't know what happened and we didn't know for a long time because... One, it was an ongoing investigation, and two, because it was an ongoing investigation, nobody was talking to us about it, and it was something, sort of, the climate was that we weren't really supposed to talk about it. And I think now about, like, I'm a teacher now, and I think about when something really bad happens, the immediate response is, you know, we have counselors on site, and we have counselors at school available at all times for students to talk to if they're struggling with this. And there was no, there was nobody, there was no talking about it. None of us knew what was happening and and none of us talked about it at all. It was, looking back, I can't believe how, how it really wasn't even addressed at school, but really how could you? I mean, how could the teachers address this? How could they even talk about this? So the next thing Royce does is he walks them through the night that Elise went missing. And we have to warn you, this is the stuff of nightmares. They were friends with Elise and had met her through Jacob. They called her and lured her out of the house with the promise of just this chill get together in this eucalyptus grove. She got there and they walked with her to this remote wooded spot on this mesa, which overlooked the ocean, the Pacific Ocean. And they sat down and Elise was talking to Royce and Joseph. Meanwhile, Jacob walks up behind her, takes off his belt, puts it over her head and squeezes it tight around her neck. And while Elise struggled, Royce grabbed her hands and Joseph pulled out this large fixed blade hunting knife, kind of like a Rambo knife. And he began to stab her over and over in her neck. And then when she fell to the ground, both Josh and Royce stabbed her in the back. But Elise was still alive, and she was on the ground praying and yelling for her mother when Royce stomped on the back of her neck. And then after that, Elise never made another sound. And then these animals took turns raping her. Elise's autopsy revealed that she was stabbed at least 12 times, and none of the individual wounds were fatal, meaning that she slowly bled to death throughout this experience. And the three murderers were said to have partaken in having sex with her corpse on more than one occasion after she was killed. And they were visiting the site throughout the entire duration that she was missing. For months, repeatedly, after she was 
just left there in the grove like for months and that part that part is just like I don't even when people ask did anything crazy happen in your high school honestly when I talk about this I usually leave that part out just because I don't even know how to talk about that it's just so it's so disgusting and so messed up I mean in their what I heard was that in their minds they thought like the worst we can be, the most horrible thing we can do, that will be like the the best tribute, the best sacrifice, the best like, you know, um, offering. Um, I, that part of it, I just, I don't even know how the three of them after what they had done that night and what they had done to her body after she died, after that night, I don't know how the three of them could still be like, hey, do you want to go back out there? Yeah, sure, that sounds like a great idea. I don't remember reading all of the details as a kid. I remember just hearing how she died. That's all I remember hearing. I didn't hear the rest of it. Um, and just thinking like, gosh, that's so scary. And then as an adult reflecting back and thinking, oh my gosh, this crazy thing happened at my high school and none of us talk about it. And I don't even remember talking about it when it happened. And I am just blown away by how, like, that this happened to a classmate and that we were all just trusted to process it on our own. It's just insane. I asked my mom about it. Um, I was talking to her and I was like, do you remember that thing that happened to Elise, you know, when we were in high school? And she said, yeah, I remember. And I asked her why we never talked about it. Why did the parents never talk to the kids about it? And she said, we thought that if we didn't talk to you, that maybe you guys weren't thinking about it and we didn't want to make it any worse. We were hoping that you weren't talking about it. It makes a lot of sense, but it's like, wow. I mean, she never even got to drive a car. She never got to fall in love or get married. Just so sad. Royce then told them that Elise's murder had been plotted once before. Only this time, this previous time he means, there was one other boy with them named Travis Williams. Similarly to the night that they actually went through with it, they had enticed Elise to a spot on the mesa where there was a steep ravine. One of the boys, which was Travis Williams, pretended to slip down the ravine as a ruse to get her down to the bottom. Once they were both down there, Joseph tossed Travis a knife. Travis, however, just stood there. And at the time he was just standing there, Joseph and Jacob were just chanting, do it, do it, do it. Royce then said that Elise must have thought they were joking around because she didn't report it. And the knife that Joseph tossed down to Travis was the same one that was ultimately used to kill her later. These horrific, callous details beg the question of motive. And we warn that the why of this murder is nearly as chilling as the description of the murder itself. We'll lay out how this terrible sequence of events began. So Royce Casey, who was 17, Jacob Delashmet, 16, and Joseph Fiorella, 15, were young men with severe problems. Jacob was the son of devout Mormon parents. He had a talent for art, but he also had a drug problem. He had gone to the Mariposa Community Recovery Center, which is where he met Elise, and he was a well-known amphetamine user. A neighbor of Jacob said that she, quote, heard that he and his friends were interested in real devil worship. They were strange boys. They kept to themselves and hardly spoke, but I could see there was something bad going on with them. Jacob was um, 
the same year as me, and he's the one that I knew as a classmate as well. Um, he had a reputation for being a kid that was always in trouble. Like, he got suspended a couple times um, for possession of drugs and for yelling at teachers like profanity. And so he was expelled actually twice. And but he was like, it, it's so weird because he was the, the youngest of a big family with a lot of kids. And it was a, I think the family was Mormon. So, you know, it was a family that was, you know, he was definitely brought up with a good family and a good support system. Not that that says that you're always going to be or not be, you know, someone who makes bad choices in life. He was somebody that like girls had crushes on, but then he was also somebody that we quickly realized he's not a good kid to, to spend time with. Like you'll get in trouble if you're with him or you'll get in trouble if you hang out with him. I remember I worked at uh, Avila Hot Springs, which is a local pool and campground in the area in Avila. And he would come in the summers to swim and I would see him there and I would see him in classes at, at school. Um, I think he was even for a short time on my brother's in my brother's Boy Scout club. But I knew him as a kid to like, kind of keep my distance from. Royce and Joseph were also troubled teenagers. They had difficulty in school and were also known drug users. They were social outcasts looking for something to believe in and something to be a part of. And there were rumors at school that some students were practicing devil worship. And there had been talk of a couple of boys trying to snatch a young virgin off the streets of Arroyo Grande. But these were just rumors. This is stuff that just people just were talking about. But the boys' growing interest in the occult was being fed by Joseph's growing library on the subject. He also had copies of pamphlets by Satanists like Aleister Crowley. And in it, the author described a ritual in which a toad was crucified after being kept all night in an ark or a chest. So Joseph and Jacob, they start devising these entire fantasies, and they can tell people over the internet, their fellow um, uh, Satanists, Satan enthusiasts, whatever you want to call it, about, you know, this, this is what we want to do. So they're slowly moving into it, and they're starting with the thoughts first. And then uh, Joseph later claims that he wasn't really that big into it, but when he saw his friends were into it, he saw a chance to be a leader because he's the one that had the library. And even though he was the youngest, he had the books, he had the knowledge, and this was his chance to actually be a leader. So Roy said that then it started to escalate. They went from this fantasy and these thoughts into action. And it starts off small first. They break into a graveyard and they mark the headstones of the graves that they wanted to come back and dig up to rob the bodies. The, the series of events that brought these three people together and how this all came about as far as planning and actually carrying it out, I'm, I'm beyond, you know, at a loss for words. I, I have no idea. I mean, I think that it, it must have just started as these crazy ideas that they were talking about, like, while they were, you know, playing their band and, and doing drugs and you know, talking about this crazy stuff, and they probably felt like, yeah, this is insane stuff we're talking about. And I don't know at what point it must have become real for them. I don't think all three of them were equally involved. I think they all three did it, but I think that, and most people think that Joe, the youngest one, um, you know, really, like, pushed these plans forward and, and kept it 
as a topic that they were all um, still involved in carrying out. So, I mean, they're all three equally guilty, but I think also just like I, as a 15, 16 year old kid, didn't even understand how to process the reality of what happened. I don't think they were processing the reality of what they were thinking about doing and what they did. Um, so I, I think part of it is just insane and part of it is just not being developed as a human who can understand how you're going to rip a family apart if you hurt someone in their family, if you take them away. So it was also no secret to Royce's family that he wasn't a happy kid in the months after Elise disappeared. He would spend days on end locked in his bedroom, writing pages in a special journal he had that he started writing in since the disappearance of Elise. And he describes how he was fighting on the other side now. He wrote, I'm fighting on the other side now. Allied with a darkened soul, Satan's arise and shall conquer and reign. In the Bible, it says that in the end, Lucifer will bring out his best in everything. Music, love, murder. All the psycho serial killers and rapists don't know that if they would just build an altar of sacrifice and kill the person on the altar and then have repeated sex with the corpse, virgin meat is the ultimate sacrifice. Sometimes the boys were tempted to return to the eucalyptus grove and take a look at the evidence of their spiritual supremacy. And no one to this day knows how many times or how often the group returned. The trio also started a death metal band called Hatred, and it was written with an inverted cross as the T. And the band formed its name to glorify Satan, and it was to Satan its three members eventually turned. So just in case you guys aren't familiar with death metal, I'll give a little description. The Um, band girl should. What? You're the band girl. <laughs> yeah, but Billy probably is way more familiar with death metal than I am. We are just scratching the surface of death metal here. There's there's whole podcast based on death metal, but yes. I'm wearing a Backstreet Boy shirt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so death metal is a sub-genre of heavy rock that features explicit lyrics dealing with murder, to- torture, and occult practices. Um, the boys wanted to play death metal and they emulated bands that produced the music, specifically the records made by Slayer, the veteran pioneers of thrash from Huntington Beach, California. So the boys admitted that they indulged in drugs on a daily basis, regularly using meth and acid, which is crazy. Um, Joseph was obsessed with the idea of murdering Elise and he had found some other meaning or message in some of Slayer's lyrics. Um, We're not sure exactly what those lyrics are, but I'm going to give you an example of some Slayer lyrics right now. Approaching the altar of death, high priest awaiting, dagger in hand, spilling the pure virgin blood. Satan's slaughter, ceremonial death, answer his every command. So the three of them said that Elise was selected and she was stalked and ultimately killed because she was this blonde haired, blue eyed virgin. And that she was going to be sacrificed to the devil. And one of their plans was to take her to some type of an altar and sacrifice her. And uh, one of them had said, in his words, to quote, 
this is straight out of the lyrics of Slayer. And in music, you hear stories about the devil all the time. Most famously, Robert Johnson stood at the crossroads, sold his soul to the devil. That's how he got his, his talent and got his songs. These kids believed that killing Elise would be their ticket to hell. And that would enhance their musical ability. So ultimately, Elise lost her life to make the boys' dreams come true. And so they thought what they were going to do is getting this ticket to hell would give them the power to play their instruments better. And this is a quote, by making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, they would gain more craziness or nuts. That would make us play harder, play faster. And by making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, it might help them go, quote, professional. That's not how this works. <laughs> That's so, not how any of this works. Jared, you're not here right now, but I want you to jump in. Please tell our listeners how you get good at an instrument. Hey, Billy. Hey, everybody. Uh, as somebody who grew up practicing Slayer riffs in my bedroom for years, the answer is practice and definitely not sacrificing somebody. Thank you, Jared. And when police searched the boys' homes, they found lyrics of Slayer songs printed out on these large sheets of paper, including the lyrics to a song called Altar of Sacrifice. I think the part that makes me the the saddest and the angriest is that they weren't thinking about her as a human at all. They were just thinking about themselves and how this experience would bring them, you know, this better skills and make their band go pro. And it's just so ridiculous. And so it sounds like it's, I think the part that's really shocking to me is how childish their like thought and their belief was that if they did this horrible thing, then like, they would be rewarded with these amazing musical skills and they would go pro and become famous band. And yet what they did, what they actually did in reality seems so adult and so horrible. And how could they have even thought of this as, as these 15, 16 year old kids? It's like, it's just seems so ridiculous. Their reasoning behind it. And it seems so sadistic what they really did. And that part's really confusing to me still. So as you can imagine, as people are learning of just the horrific events that have taken place and the horrific circumstances under which Elise died, there was just incredible shock and sadness that, you know, reverberated through this community. And Elise's murder was so far beyond the pale that residents were just completely haunted by it. It shocked the shit out of me, said a guy who went to high school with all of them. Me and him were pretty good friends. He was a calm, mellow dude. And here he's talking about Jacob. Because Jacob was the one who knew Elise. They met actually in that facility that her parents sent her to. Elise's grandmother said that she couldn't get over the details. I wish I had known what these guys were planning. I would have wrung their scrawny little necks. And while many were blindsided by the gruesome details, many students at the high school were actually not surprised that Jacob, Royce, and Joseph had been arrested because many of them actually knew what had happened to Elise, but were too afraid to tell the authorities. And two of their friends actually admitted to being told explicitly, 
but they believed that their friends were fabricating the whole thing and making it up. Now, I think that's crazy that people knew. It's insane. And it's like, is it because they're scared? Is it because they don't care? Or is it because they thought they were lying? Oh, they thought they were lying. Yeah. You think? Well, it's just like a, yeah, like a braggy, the weirdo kids are bragging about killing a girl. Like, I don't know. It's so sad. So another thing that we have to mention here is the police. And given the circumstances, they had some tough questions to answer because, you know, Elisa's family had been insisting the entire time that something was going on and their complaints and their concerns were not taken seriously. I don't know. The the Aurora Grande Police Department did face kind of some questions afterwards about how could she not have been found if there was a search and she was less than a mile behind her parents' house. Probably everyone's lack of like immediate danger, immediate concern is just because it was outside the realm of what what we were even used to considering in my mind terrible things happen in movies and we tell ourselves that's not real it's not true it doesn't happen so that we can go to sleep right when, when we're teenagers so of course it makes sense that when something like this really does happen you think until you know you think oh it couldn't be true like nothing bad has happened we just don't know what's happened and the explanation is going to be completely reasonable when we find out Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. The three boys were charged with first-degree murder with special circumstances, torture, and rape. And all three of them were to be tried as adults, and they pled no contest. At the sentencing hearing, David Paler said three things contributed to his daughter's murder other than the killers themselves. He said, I have to, and this is a quote, I have to take a look at the drugs. I have to take a look at the parents and the lack of responsibility there. And I have to look at the music. Then he read some of the Slayer lyrics that he believes spoke directly to his daughter's murder. A jury found them guilty and sentenced them all to serve 26 years to life in prison. And at the sentencing, the judge said, nothing can undo the wrongness of this crime or the sadness it has caused for the families. And it was committed for the stupidest reason. I think that you could go there where you could think like, wow, this I didn't even know that humans were capable of this at this age. But I think that these three were really unique 
and really um, spent too much time alone and had too much access to drugs and had a skewed vision of what was really going on. And it, at that time, they just thought that like, this was their this was life, right? Their band was their life. So the convictions of the boys is not where the story ends. The Palers were not going to just accept their daughter's senseless death lying down. Elise's parents claimed that the Slayer songs post-mortem and death skin mask gave the three killers detailed instructions to, quote, stalk, rape, torture, murder, and commit acts of necrophilia on their daughter. I mean, after all, the three murderers were all in agreement that Slayer's music was the catalyst that propelled them to commit the crimes. So in 2001, at least his parents decided that they were going to sue Slayer, Sony, and a number of other record labels for contributing to their daughter's murder by knowingly marketing violent music to minors. And the national media ran with the story. And by the way, when you Google Elise Paler, nothing comes up, really. There's barely any information except for this case with suing Slayer. Yeah. There's very little on the crime or it's there's very little focus on her. Right. But what's interesting is that this case really made the music industry very nervous. Yeah. Because they were coming at it from a different angle. They were going after the marketing. They weren't they weren't uh, attacking free speech. They were saying, you know, you're knowingly marketing violent materials to minors, similarly to what happened with cigarettes, where they're like, you can't advertise for cigarettes Mm -hmm. to children. And that's that's the same argument they were trying to make because it stopped, you know, advertisements for cigarettes stopped in magazines, anywhere where children could get it, they stopped it. So they were trying to do the same thing here and sue for damages based on the fact that that's what was happening. If you know something could kill people and you market it towards children, you're liable. Right. So everyone was really nervous because this was a different legal tactic they were using to try to, you know not attack the, you know, the media or the music industry, but, you know, address what they perceived to be happening. Right. So Elisa's story um, was kind of like a throwback to the satanic panic that was happening in the 80s. And that was a time when metal music was a common scapegoat and parents all over the country and the world were afraid of Satan. Okay, so here are the broad strokes of the satanic panic as a reminder. So people saw the birth of the satanic panic as the media fueled a public wave of fear about an uptick in ritualistic crime. And to be clear, a ritualistic crime involves a group of people organized under some sort of social, political, but mostly religious philosophy. And you see these crimes the most as far as having some sort of religious connotation. And they involve everything from church desecration, grave robbing, arson, trespassing, vandalism, animal abuse, serial rape, and ritual homicide. So the satanic panic epidemic cooled down in the national media as we headed into the 90s, but it stuck around in little pockets and it created these kind of devil's experts who were experts in Satanism. And we saw this in one of the most famous satanic panic cases that you might have heard of, which is West Memphis 3, Paradise Lost, uh, the Arkansas teenagers Damien Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly, and Jason Baldwin, who were accused of killing three younger boys. And these experts pointed to numerology. They pointed to all, all these other things that they were claiming were linked to Satan 
And also they pointed to these Metallica lyrics that were found in Damien's diary. And ironically, it was Metallica who allowed um, Joe Berlinger to use his th- their music in the documentary would save their lives and also like Johnny Depp and Eddie Vedder and all these musicians who helped get these three out and got justice for them. We still have not gotten justice for who actually killed them. In the early 90s, there was also a claim that Ozzy Osbourne's song, Suicide Solution, prompted the suicide of a 16-year-old. And then Judas Priest released a uh, an album called Killing Machine. They were sued over this 1985 uh, suicide pact between these two Nevada schoolboys, and one of them survived. And he and the other boy's parents charged that a 1978 album contained hidden messages, and the words do it allegedly can be heard when the record is played backwards. And the letters S-U-I for suicide are in the sleeve artwork. And if you've ever watched the trial, you can probably find it on YouTube. You can see Rob Halford singing the song from the stand, uh, which was pretty surreal. And then, so, so you had all these things swirling around. You had Columbine happen. Everybody's looking for answers. Why would these two kids do this? And they looked to Marilyn Manson, and they also looked to video games because the guys were, were really into video games. So in all these cases, the court ruled in favor of free speech. And the suits against the artists and the media companies were dismissed. You all However, on the flip side, in 1993, a man named Lawrence Horn contracted a hitman to kill his ex-wife, their disabled son, and their nurse. The assassin admitted in court that he had used a how-to book called Hitman, a technical manual for independent contractors, to kill all three individuals. This case prompted a lawsuit in 97 against the Paladin Press, publishers of the book, and they ultimately agreed to pay millions of dollars in compensation to the families of the victims. So this suit against Slayer that we're talking about could really go either way. And there is a gray area because with this handbook, I mean, the title says it all, where they're they're how to kill kill somebody as a hitman. Their intention is to provide instructions to cause an illegal activity. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, music, art, art, there's an abstract sort of interpretation. There are sort of metaphors being used. And the intention could be, I mean, who the artist only knows. So the question is, how did it play out in court? The judge ultimately said during his ruling, Slayer lyrics are repulsive and profane, but they do not direct or instruct listeners to commit the acts that resulted in the vicious torture murder of Elise Paler. He also ruled that the music is not harmful to children, as the plaintiffs alleged. Therefore, he added, it is not illegal to sell or market the product, and it is protected by the First Amendment right. So, it was a victory for First Amendment rights, but another crushing crushing blow for the palers and you know it doesn't matter what your opinion is on how this verdict should have gone but these people are just looking for somebody you know anybody to try to take responsibility for their daughter's death because the way she died is just unthinkable you know what i mean and i understand why they filed this suit i mean reading the lyrics 
they're explicit in what they say and yeah. the things that happened to her, you know. But I think that the path these kids were on, Slayer or no Slayer, I think they would have done it. Yeah. Um, but I understand why they did this. And I'm sad for them that they had another loss. So this case actually pops up in the zeitgeist again in 2009 with Jennifer's Body which was a movie and Elisa's story was the basis for at least part of the storyline in this film starring Megan Fox although the girls in the band's roles were actually inverted I don't know what words you know how there's different like gradients of words like there's bad there's awful there's horrible there's horrific like different like measures of meaning I don't know the word past horrific and I feel like I feel like I keep using the word it was horrific but like it was inconceivably just terrible I what happened to her like the details of what happened and I got the sense from them that they didn't even understand how horrible this was because they didn't they didn't seem very apologetic. They they were talking about like why they planned this and what their thought process was. And then sort of like as an afterthought, one of them had said, I mean, we're sorry she's dead. You know, it's like I don't think they even at that age could process what a devastating thing that they did to her, to her family. The suit against Slayer, I think, made it definitely more widely known. And then it being part of the storyline of Jennifer's body. I mean, it's it's almost like a sick joke in the scene where the main character turns to his bandmate and looks in and says, listen, like they're about to commit the murder. And he says, listen, do you want to work at the tavern your whole life or do you want to be a lead singer like the guy from Maroon 5? And he's like, yeah, definitely, the guy from Maroon 5. So he hands him the knife, and he's like, then do it. And I just, like, I know that that is a script, and I know that's a movie, and it's a, it's a good movie. I mean, it gets kind of crazy at the end, but just this, like, fictionalized moment of what really happened to Elise, and it was almost like a pop culture joke. I don't know. It was, like, both horrible and just, I don't know. I mean, I... I definitely free speech and creativity and I don't think that although I don't love Slayer's music I don't think that they are guilty of um, influencing people in a way to commit murder There's, they have hundreds of thousands of fans who don't do this um, but it was just kind of like wow just sad all around and I think that I'm at a loss for words because I don't know how to put it all together in any kind of way that makes sense. So another thing I want to bring up, which I think Billy will think is very interesting, is that in the beginning of the show when we said that this year in this town, they we experienced a high number of homicides and violence. So three years after Joe Fiorella took part in the murder of Elise Paler. His brother, Anthony Fiorella, murdered somebody in public in, in, this, in the next town over. And I was baffled because it was a super violent, horrific crime. And it happened three years after his brother had committed this crime. And I was just at a loss where you'd have two sons commit really horrific murders within three years of each other 
back to I mean, and it's the only two boys and it's the only two sons this woman has. Yeah. Uh, and I just was floored when I found it because I was just looking at newspaper archives with the Fiorella name and release at least parlor. And this became another super high profile case in the area, probably because it's the brother of, of uh, but I was the numbers there are crazy. And Joseph was the mastermind. He was the youngest. He meant, you know, I'm not going to, all these kids had a, a role in this, but you'd think with three people getting together to do something like this, somebody had to have been the instigator to kind of pressure test to see where Mm -hmm. everybody was. Can we get these guys on board? If I say like, it's, it's a, it happens in stages, like a plan like this. Right. And you're looking for, you, you can't, we we don't want to think as people that there are three people that are completely evil that are going to try and do this. We want to think that there's one person that's evil and then there's that, that he's able to convince two other people to go along with it. And I see where you're going, Alexis, where you're saying that was there something off in the chemistry of this family with these two brothers? Uh, it doesn't happen often that two brothers will actually commit murder. Okay, so given the sort of the, the width and breadth of this case, our first degree, Melanie, it's like how did being within a very close proximity to these people affect just like her outlook uh she's a teacher now and in school is where these people met she watched children at the time they were peers but do this to one another it's it's very crazy as an adult probably to think about yeah reflecting on what happened to elise now later in life i one i can't i can't even imagine like the reality of of what they were planning and that they actually did it also, I just, I think about her family and, and how she just lived 15 years and, and at the end it was just such a horrible end. And I think about her mom because at the end she was calling for her mom and that must have broken her heart. I think about how scary that must have been for her because now I understand what she must have gone through that night when I couldn't have understood that when I was 15. I think it opened my eyes that these horrible things really could happen. It wasn't just in movies, in a script where you tell yourself it's not true so you can go to sleep without any nightmares. But I think this is really what started me being fascinated by how people can go in a completely different direction as far as having just basic empathy for people. How people can go in a completely different direction and become, you know, criminals or serial killers. And I think that my curiosity about like the human mind and being curious about true crime really started with this horrible event that happened at my high school. There's a small shrine in the eucalyptus grove where 15-year-old Elise Paler was murdered. Several photos of her, a prayer from her grandmother, some begonias and irises, and a wooden cross tacked on a sapling. Aside from this modest memorial, there's nothing to indicate this was a scene of extreme violence. The Palers started a nonprofit in Elise's honor to help spread awareness about misogynistic lyrics in popular culture. So what did we learn today? I think that I learned at least there is a fine line. I mean, if you look at uh, the book about the hitman and lyrics in a song, I mean, I think the intention behind things like this are everything because we're in a culture that is, you know, violent violence fueled well and you're gonna see it whether that is video games or music or whatever and it i don't think ultimately at the end of the day it's 
because of Slayer, like these boys would have found a different outlet to have gone through to have committed those crimes. Like that is just that's evilness. And that is there's no excuse or real scapegoat for that behavior. Yeah. And when you look at the kids from Columbine, when they were videotaping themselves and they're showing the shotgun and they said, like, the shotgun's right out of doom, which was a video game at the time where you're where you're literally inside the the game you're walking down a hallway and shooting stuff which is similar to what they did i used to play doom when i was a kid i had older male cousins that would be like play and doom was terrifying these things would pop out at you and everything it was like really the first kind of first person shooter that 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 people ever experienced and these kids were really into it. It, it you know people were pointing to that and saying wow that's just like that it would have been something else it's yeah it'll that exists within the human and they'll find the reasoning for it or whatever they're going to connect it to elsewhere regardless of what it is people you know like jack the ripper were they were murdering before there was mass media you know distribution of music video games film like they that instinct is in a certain percentage of the population Mm -hmm. whether we like it or not yeah and will those influences change the medium in which they commit the crime or the weapon they use or the setting in which they choose to perpetrate it sure yeah but that instinct is there i mean lord of the flies like we yeah it's there in a percentage of this population whether we like it or not all right well special thanks to our first degree connection melanie who reached out to us on email um like a responsible adult <laughs> we appreciate that thank oh, you melanie alexis is getting a little overwhelmed on uh dm submissions from people which is great this is an amazing not it's not really an amazing pro- problem to have it isn't it a, isn't it's a very unfortunate circumstance but the fact that you guys are all reaching out um is is great but please email us if you can rather than instagram dms because it will get kind of lost in the mix and when you guys are sending me your bleeding heart submissions i want to make sure you feel heard alexis is very empathetic and she wants to write back to every single person and she's just it's everything is kind of getting buried right because dms just pile up and i just want if you if you're pouring your heart out in a dm and you feel you know you haven't been heard i don't want to offend anybody so so please email if you can, that would be great. If you can, I know you guys are still gonna uh, DM, but that's okay. Um, also, uh, before we go, please get your hands on some merch. Link is in our bio of our Instagram. We've got some great merch going on. And take some pics too. Take some pics, send it in. We'll repost them. Um, and I think that's it. Do we have anything else to say? No. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But but not not that that close. Happy 50th episode day to us. And avocado day. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fuck up the glass. Tillamook ice cream. Extraordinary dairy.